What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's Twitter Tuesday here on this podcast. You guys sent in a ton of really good material for us to get into today on this podcast and uh, kind of buckle up here because we got a lot to dig into and I'm not going to waste any time. Let's get right to it. First one here comes from Chris and Chris says, I hope this email finds you well and in time for today's taping of Twitter Tuesday. My question is, I'm from Long Island, born and raised and left when I was 18 to join the military. After 20 years, I retired and stayed in Washington state, home of my last duty station. I hear all the time here and over my military career about the Jets and Giants when it comes to New York football. Personally, I call them the Jersey Green and Blue. People forget the Bills have been the only New York football team since the other two moved to Jersey. Do you think McBean, for what they've done and are doing, are finally putting Buffalo on the map? We should get more primetime games next season because of that. Love your show and thanks for doing it. Thank you, Chris, first for your service to the military and also for your question. Um, yes, I do think so. I think the bills are obviously their playoff team. They won 10 games this year at a minimum. We don't know how far they're going to go into the playoffs, but the bills are going to get more primetime games next year. There's no question about it. I think as much as there's been team success that gets you primetime games, the team is drawing great ratings. Obviously the Thanksgiving game was uh, one of the most watched regular season football games in recent years. Uh, the Bills and um, and Steelers on Sunday Night Football did way better ratings than the Ravens and Rams did, and the Rams are from L.A., Los Angeles, and the Ravens have the NFL MVP and Lamar Jackson. The Bills, against Duck Hodges and the Pittsburgh Steelers, did much better in terms of ratings than that game did. And so, yeah, I think not only do, has the, the team played extremely well, that gets you those primetime games because you're you're having success on the field, but Buffalo's a great draw for primetime games. Next one here comes from Todd. I absolutely love this one. He says, entering year three of their careers, who do you think is closest to their ceiling, Josh Allen or Tremaine Edmonds? I thought, I thought a lot about this uh, ever since I got this email from Todd, and I think the one that's closest to reaching their ceiling is Josh Allen. Uh, the reason being, I think there there's some things about Josh that, I mean, he's done nothing but grow, but are we exactly certain that he's going to become a good deep thrower? Are we exactly certain that he's always going to be a very astute, quick, sharp processor that gets the ball out clean and quick? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think th- there's been plenty of reasons to believe that he can continue to grow and mature. He's done that a ton over you know, almost two seasons of starting experience. But I wonder I wonder if, if he has a, a quicker plateau, if you will, than Tremaine Edmonds, who is 21 years old. He's in a second season starting. He's grown a ton. And I don't think that you can look at Tremaine and think there's anything he can't do on the field. And I don't look at Josh Allen and say there's anything I don't think he can do on the field either, but I don't know that he'll get to the consistency level that a Tremaine Edmonds can get to. So I'll go with Tremaine. It's not a slight on Josh. It's just that I think that Tremaine has more room to continue to get better and less that I'm concerned with that he can fix permanently and make issues go away. And again, if you took that as a slight on Josh Allen, that wasn't my intent. But I think that 
there's when I, when I think about it in terms of who can plateau clicker, which means that's their ceiling. I think it's Josh Allen. Chris says, absolutely love the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Your insight and knowledge of the game combined with your even keeled delivery have made me much more appreciative of the inner workings of the game. Awesome. I love to hear that, Chris. It's great to have your stats backing me when I argue with my uh, curmudgingly grumpy Josh Allen hating uncle. I wonder if you can speak on the coachability of Josh Allen. I've watched the merry-go-round of quarterbacks and coaches since the mid-80s and don't think I've ever seen a quarterback respond like Josh, even back to last season when he came back from his injury. This year, stop playing hero ball. Done. Stop throwing dumb passes. Done. Stop fumbling. Better. Uh, So that's the first question that he had there. And I think you did a good job of summarizing it, to be completely honest with you, Chris. I mean, you've identified several key areas where he's continued to grow, and I think that does speak to coachability. And you hear words from Sean McDermott all the time when he talks about Josh Allen in that he embraces a growth mindset, and I think that speaks to coachability. I have no concerns whatsoever that Josh Allen is coachable and will continue to be coachable, and I think he recognizes that, and I think that's really important. Josh will always, I mean, he's always saying, I have a lot to learn. I've I've got to get better. He says those things, and then he does it, and so I give him a lot of credit for that. I don't have any concerns about Josh's coachability, and I, I put this after Todd's question because I think it does a really good job of kind of tying together uh, some of those talking points. The second question from Chris is that, what quarterback do you think Josh will be comparable to in five to ten years? My first thought would be Matthew Stafford, above average and reasonably dependable, but maybe not quite a Hall of Fame career. I hope I'm wrong, of course. I hope he and McDermott become the next Brady slash Belichick, but Josh isn't as pretty as Tom, and Coach McDermott won't sell his soul to the devil. So uh, that's that's an interesting question there. Um, you know, what type of arc is is Josh on? Who will he be compared to in five to ten years? I think what's challenging there is he's such a unique player. I mean, he's obviously physically talented. He has a big arm. He can run. And so I don't know that there's going to be a slam dunk. Uh, this is who Josh can be. I think there's going to be bits and pieces of quarterbacks uh, that – um, that he'll remind you of. I think Matthew Stafford, in terms of arm talent and and throws that he can really fit in and 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 put in deep windows that most people can't. I think that's where you'll get some comparisons to Josh from Josh Allen to Matt Stafford as a runner. I think you can probably look at a Cam Newton and say there's a lot of similarities and the talent that both of these guys have in terms of natural field vision, physicality, acceleration as runners. Um, and I think, you know, maybe there's some other things mentally that you might tie to other quarterbacks. So I'm not sure that we're going to be able to say there's any one quarterback that he's exactly like, I think he's going to be a combination of a lot of different guys. Uh, the last thing from Chris is I've never gotten a good explanation of what happened with Shady McCoy. It kind of just happened and he went away. My grumpy ass uncle says it was just about money and a business move, but I don't think so. I think he was a cancer that had to be removed in order for the team to move to the next level. What are your thoughts? Um, I think there was a financial angle there to consider. I mean, he was due a, a big amount of money, and you know he was never going to live up to that contract. So from a just a logical like business sense in terms of the amount of money you're paying somebody versus the returns they give you, there's a discrepancy there, and it's bad business to um to keep him. I to me though, I think the bigger the bigger piece of the discussion with LaShawn McCoy and him not being part of the mix this year was that 
I think the writing was on the wall that his workload was going to decrease. I think they really liked what they saw from Devin Singletary and what Frank Gore can be for this team. And they said, I don't think LaShawn McCoy is going to be able to handle a reduced workload and that he's not going to respond to that like we want him to. And, and there were some concerns there, and, and that, that combined with the bad economics of the deal, it led to the decision to move on from LaShawn McCoy. And I don't think at this point anyone's second-guessing that. Next one here comes from Chuck, who says, If I'm remembering correctly, you nailed a lot of your Friday predictions for the Steelers game. Can you run through them? Well, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate you giving me a chance to, uh, to flex on some of these, uh, these predictions I got right. Uh, I had five predictions like I do most Fridays. The first one was that uh, the Bills win, the Bills won, so I got that one right. This one I did not get right. I predicted a season high in rushing yards for Josh Allen. Uh, He needed to get 57 yards for a new season high. He did not come close to that. Uh, I got the rest right, though. I predicted a random guy touchdown, so I said a Bills player not named Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, John Brown, or Cole Beasley would score a touchdown. We got that from Tyler Croft. Uh, number four, I had the Bills will come under Pittsburgh season averages for sacks and takeaways, and they did that. They didn't get sacked or turn over the ball at the rate uh, Pittsburgh was averaging those on the season. And then I also predicted that the Bills will have more sacks than the Steelers, which they absolutely did. Josh Allen was only sacked one time, and I think the Bills had four sacks on defense. So I did a good job, four out of five this past weekend. Vin says, Joe, happy playoff freaking Monday. I've seen some mocks with the Buffalo Bills drafting T. Higgins. What are your thoughts on him and how would he fit into this offense? Also, as a fan, how do you watch a game like last night? Are you calm or are you anxious? Um, I'll address the, the T. Higgins thing there. I think T. Higgins would be a good player for the Bills to draft in the first round. He's one of the guys that I think has some reasonable chance to be available on the board when the Bills pick and he'd give the size dynamic that catch point uh type player that we feel the bills need and he's i mean he's in a lot of ways very reminiscent of an aj green with kind of his his athletic profile how he he moves um and that he's kind of kind of has some uh some some good length and and some some lankiness to him almost and He's still pretty fluid as a route runner and runs really good vertical routes and has great ball skills, great ball tracking ability, really good concentration in hands. And so um, I think he'd be great. I think he'd be a great fit for the Bills. He's not the the receiver I would absolutely prefer uh, if they went receiver in round one. I think he'd be up there high on the list, but I would rather have obviously the top guys, you know, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, um, CeeDee Lamb, but also LaVisca Chenault's a player that I think is – very, uh, very much a, a good fit for the Bills offense. I think he gives you those size and physical explosive abilities that you're looking for, but also he's really accustomed to doing the space stuff that we like to do with a guy like uh, Isaiah McKenzie. So you see those jet motions, you see those shuffle passes, that type of stuff. I think LaVisca gives you that, uh, plus the vertical ability, plus the physicality and size of the catch point. So to me, he's a little bit more of a versatile all-around weapon, Um than T Higgins, but either one, I think at receiver, they're in the same bucket, same type tier for me. Your second question was about, uh, how do I watch a game like last night as a fan? My, my emotion, am I calm? Um, I, I think I'm pretty calm guy on game day. You know, I, I sit there, I've got my computer open watching the game. Um, 
I'm thinking a lot about matchups and I'm, I'm uh, paying attention to how the game's being called. You know, what, th- what type of stuff is Brian Dable dialing up? What counters are kind of built into some of those concepts? I'm interested a lot in matchups. You know, so like a game last night, obviously I was very interested in TJ Watt versus Cody Ford. So, you know, I'm kind of keeping my eyes on that quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am very happy when things go well for the Bills. I, I celebrate. Um, when the Bills do bad, I kind of turtle up. Uh, I don't really say much. I, I just kind of sit there hopeful. Um, but you know, I, I, I mean, I enjoy it. I, I think, I think it's a, it's the funnest thing I do every week is watch the Bills play football. So, um, I'm not sure exactly how to describe my game day, um, habits and what it's like to watch a game with me, but I, I think I'm probably, I'm probably calm, slightly emotional, but when things are going South, I kind of turtle up. Next one here comes from John, who says, is it time for the league to reconsider the method for playoff seeding? The Bills are likely the fifth seed, and even as a diehard fan, I can admit that that is probably right about where they deserve to be seeded by the end. But when I saw the NFC playoff graphic last night during the game, I couldn't believe it. The fact that the 49ers are a potential wild card and fifth seed team right now with an 11-3 record, while the Cowboys sit at 7-7 and and would end up getting home field advantage as the fourth seed if the season were to end today is an absolute travesty. What about the idea of playoff seeding is done by straight record and tiebreakers as opposed to just giving the division winners the top four slots? I think it's a, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's probably a good idea to look at it. It's not fair, right? Like Dallas should not host the 49ers, right? This should not happen uh, based on record and success during the season. I think for the most part, we don't really get into this type of stuff. I think it's usually pretty clean in terms of, yeah, those teams deserve to to get a bye. Those teams deserve to get the home playoff game, their wildcard round, all that type of stuff. But we do see this based on the structure of getting into the playoffs, this is what can happen. And and to which I say, you know, to me, it's just like, if you think about like fantasy baseball or fantasy basketball or fantasy football, we can debate what the best way to set up the scoring is. But the reality is there's scoring that is set up and you build your team when you're doing fantasy sports to win based on that scoring. And just like the NFL, you are focused on uh, winning your division first, because you know, that's your, your best way to get a home playoff game and all that type of stuff. And so, you know, it's one of those deals where the, the 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 Cowboys' first goal this year was to win their division. Now, there's no style points in the way they're getting that done, but they have a good chance to do it. And so, you know, this is the structure that's in place. And, you know, redefine the structure or set it up however you want, but as long as it's articulated and we know what the, the plan is and what you have to do to reach certain objectives, well, then you're going to respond and you're going to build the team and you're going to do those things accordingly so that way you can, um, you know, you can achieve your, your objectives. You know, teams, they focus on building a team that can win their division because of what that means for their opportunity to win a championship. So set it however you want it, but obviously it does affect the way teams are built. Um, but yeah, I do think I do think this year is going to be a banner year for yeah. We got to look at the way we're seeding this because it's not fair that you know the eight and eight division winning Dallas Cowboys are going to host the you know thirteen and three San Francisco 49ers. It's something that we we laugh about, but it's probably going to happen. Greg says uh, the Panthers traded up. For Greg Little, uh, Brandon Bean was mad because he thought they would uh, take Cody Ford. I wonder how he's doing. 
Yeah, Greg Little's had a rough rookie season. Uh, he's missed a ton of time. Early in the season, he was out with a concussion that spanned several weeks, and then they just put him on season-ending injury reserve with an ankle injury. And so between the concussions and the ankle, he's been limited to just four games this year. He started three, um, and he's not played very well. In three games started in, in another game where he played, he's given up 18 pressures and three sacks in 144 pass-blocking reps, and he's not been a good run blocker either. So uh, bad rookie year for Greg Little, unfortunately, the the concussion, the ankle certainly plays into that, but um, I don't think the Panthers feel like they have their long-term answer at, at left tackle in Greg Little, and um, he's not played well. So uh, <laughs> it worked out good. You'd, you'd much rather have Cody Ford in the arc that he's on than Greg Little at this point. Next one here comes from Michael, who says, Playoffs! I was wondering if there is a set schedule every year of what seeds play on what days and times for the first weekend, or is it determined the week before? So yeah, we won't know in advance. There's no set thing that says, you know, at Saturday at 4.30, the four versus five seed in the AFC plays. It's sorted out by the networks and the teams available. I'm not exactly sure what all the mechanics of it are, but we will not know until the really the Sunday beforehand uh, when exactly the Bills will be playing uh, their first playoff game. Andrew says, when's the earliest we can find out who the Bills will play for the wild card? Love the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Um, <clears throat> the earliest is probably going to be week 17. You know, we don't know exactly uh, what's going to happen with the division, right? So the Bills, if they beat New England and then they have a chance to win the division, if the Dolphins can beat the Patriots and the Bills can beat the Jets. And so that plays into who the opponent will be, as well as, you know, who's going to be that that fifth seed between Houston and Tennessee, or if something really wonky happens and a team, you know, declines a little bit and they fall to the fifth seed or there's just some variables in play that we're probably not going to know until all the games are played in week 17. Next one comes from Ryan. Why do you think the bills do not run dual running back packages similar to how the Browns run Chubb and hunt? I think it brings a different dynamic to making the defense wonder which weapon we are trying to go to and utilize on that particular down, whether it be one or two backs or one of the receivers slash tight ends. And even if not, why don't they run Gore in that scheme? Yeldon could pr- prove effective in that type of role. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's a good question. Um, I think maybe some of the limitations of the Bills running backs plays into it. They don't really have complementary runners. Um, you know, Frank Gore is a between the tackles banger and Devin Singletary is obviously a little bit more, uh, effective or a lot more effective working off tackle. But, you know, I think you need more versatility with your backs to be able to really deploy them in that manner. Maybe bringing TJ Yeldon into the mix gives them some more opportunities to do stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that plays into it. I do think it's a good wrinkle, another way that the scheme can evolve, uh, but I think the Bills will have to get more dynamic, more versatile, and more um, more complementary runners to be able to really pull that off and it be effective. Next one here comes from Robert, who says, has Jordan Phillips priced himself out of town? Additionally, how does a compensation pick system work? Um, Jordan Phillips is having a great year statistically. Nine and a half sacks, that's second most among defensive tackles in the NFL. I think he's going to earn himself a contract from somebody, whether that's the Bills or somebody else, 
around $10 million a year. You know, maybe something like four years, $40 million, uh, will be the type of uh, payday he gets. Has he priced himself out of town? That's difficult for me to get into. Um, he's obviously made a lot of plays for this team, and he's a big part of a good defense. But I don't know that the snap-to-snap consistency from Jordan Phillips is quite as good as the splash plays are. And, and so that makes me a little bit nervous about committing that type of money to him and just the fact that there are so many good football players on the team that are going to be deserving of extensions. There's going to be some some give and take with that, and you're going to have to prioritize certain guys. And, you know, I, I, I get nervous about fitting Jordan Phillips into the mix with that type of price tag. So I don't think it's impossible. There's There's cap gymnastics that you can do. But, you know, he could be a player that the Bills look at and say, you know, we've got Harrison Phillips coming back. We have Ed Oliver. Starla Tulele is going to be around. You know, do we want to commit that type of money to this position? And it, it may not make sense in terms of balancing out the roster. I'll, I'll I'll think about this a lot. And after the season, when I really have to give you some hard takes on this, I will, uh, I'll be very specific with it. But at this point, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe you let him walk. Um, the 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 question about the comp- compensation pick system uh basically what they do is they take the net of the players you sign in free agency against the players you you lose in free agency and there's a value assessed to that that difference and if you you know if you wind up it, let's say the bills lose just for hypothetical the bills lose Shaq Lawson Jordan Phillips Quentin Spain in free agency. They don't sign any of those players and they don't sign any other players and they lose those three. The bills are going to get, you know, probably three fourth round picks or something like that for that. So it's about having a net loss when it comes to free agency. And there's other things that go into play in terms of when you sign players and when you cut them at what point in the season, if they count or not. So there's a lot of layers to it, but the fundamental concept is a net loss in free agency. You get re- rewarded with compensation picks. John has a couple for us today. He says, how much of a priority is it to sign Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips? The guys do nothing but make big plays every week. Do you see any situation in which they cut a combination of Star, Hughes, Murphy to sign Shaq and Phillips? What kind of money Will they command the open market, and is it worth it to pay them that kind of money? After all, it's a good example to the team that if you work hard and buy in, the team will take care of you. You know, I mean, kind of carry over from the last question there. I mean, I really appreciate the big plays these guys make. I appreciate the energy that they bring to the table. If I could only pick one, I'd probably pick Shaq Lawson, to be completely honest with you. I don't think they're both going to challenge for $10 million a year on the market. you got to ask yourself, do you want to commit? you know, 18 to $22 million a year to Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. You know, that's going to be a a challenging decision. If I can only keep one, I really do think Shaq would be the one I'd want to keep. I do recognize that they make big plays. I think Shaq is more consistent snap to snap. Um, And maybe you do have to look into it, right? Like, would you rather have Shaq Lawson or Trent Murphy? If, If it means cutting Trent Murphy and you keep Shaq Lawson, yeah, to me, I'd rather have Shaq Lawson. Or is it a deal where you can you know, look at some other contracts and move things around. I don't know. I don't know if the bills are in that point yet, but what makes me nervous is, you know, we've got big extensions, Trey White this year, Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins is up, Jordan Poyers, 
going to be up really soon. The 2018 draft class is going to be ready for extensions next year. So I'm just trying to be very forward thinking of the big picture and realize, okay, there's going to be good players for this team that you have to ask yourself, are they replaceable? Are there, is there replaceable ways to get what we're getting from that player at a, at a more economic deal? And, and that's a good problem to have. It's exciting to be at that point in the rebuild. Um, but you know, it, it's going to take some good cap management moving forward to really make sure that you're being responsible with contracts and being able to, you know, keep your roster competitive over a long period of time. I think you've seen some other teams fall victim to this where they just didn't get smart with contracts and now they're in cap hell. Look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They kind of had that one good season. They paid out a ton of money. Um, they keep trying to put band-aids over issues and you know, they've got problems there. You look at even like the, the, the Los Angeles Rams, you know, they have all those talented players, um, but you know, at the end of the day, they wind up having to move on from Talib and Peters at corner. Their offensive line is in shambles. Um, they they're paying all that money to Todd Gurley. Uh, they've got all that money tied up in those receivers. Is Jared Goff really worth his contract? I mean, those are the types of questions that come up, and and I think it it what it's what can make you a more of a mediocre team. So obviously, the Bills have a unique chance with the window that they're in, with so many really good players on rookie deals. But if it gets more difficult moving forward and it's going to come down to paying the right players and continuing to draft extremely well. Uh, The second question from John was, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting a different result. What are we doing with Frank Gore? Could it be that we are setting the type of – could it be that we are setting this type of run up for play action fakes on a short yardage critical situation down the road? Uh, John, I hadn't thought about that, but that could be it, uh, where Frank Gore comes into the game, short yardage, it's been a tendency for the Bills that they just run the ball between the tackles, and all of a sudden now you've you've eventually (laughs) created the opportunity to hit some play action or some misdirection or some fakes and stuff like that out of it. That's a good point that I didn't even consider, John. But the reality is, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, is that Frank Gore's not been effective. He was early in the year. Like he was very meaningful when Devin Singletary was hurt. Frank Gore was really important to this offense. But the more we see Devin Singletary be more effective, and and you know, in under the same circumstances, and we see Frank Gore continue to not be able to like convert short yardage and uh, kind of challenge to be used off tackle, and he can't do it. Those types of stuff. It makes you really scream for less of him and more Devin Singletary. And every time you see Frank Gore get the ball, you kind of wish Devin Singletary had it because there's more opportunity. There's more uh, explosive plays when he touches the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think we have to recognize what Frank Gore has done for this team. Um, And it's been valuable, but, man, he's just not been effective in these short yardage uh, carries. Ryan says, with the emergence of Shaq and better play from Trent, do you see the Bills going – Wide receiver in the first round, maybe a guy like T. Higgins. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, if, if the Bills are able to bring bring back Shaq Lawson, uh, then yeah, I, I'd probably definitely start thinking more towards uh, wide receiver as as the first round option. I've talked about T. Higgins earlier. I think him and Lavisca Chenault are the reasonable, realistic guys that I think can help the Bills' offense. Uh, so when I think first round receiver in relationship to where the Bills are picking. Uh, T. Higgins, LaVisca Chenault are the two names that really kind of stick with me. Jared says, uh, this is Jared from Shanghai, China. That's another one we can add to the list. So it's been a while since we brought up the countries, but I got the list right in front of me. Uh, Here it is, just for a refresher for everyone. We have the United States, Canada, Northern Ireland, Australia, England, Greece, Germany, Brazil, 
New Zealand, Sweden, Mexico, Malaysia, Norway, Japan, Egypt, Denmark, Colombia, Ireland, and China. So uh, if you listen to the podcast and you are uh, in one of those countries that we didn't just mention, would love to hear that um, to know uh, just exactly where all of our international audience is. I kind of love hearing that, and it makes makes us feel connected. I think uh, as a as a as a podcast, right? As me as the host and uh, everyone that uh, is gracious enough to listen listen to the podcast, I, I love that sense of community that we can kind of build and realize just just how big this thing is. Uh, just people that love to you know listen to Bill's discussion and get involved with Bill's discussion. So if you are not in one of those countries, I'd love to hear from you. That way we can add it to the list. All right, so let's get back to the question here from Jared. He says, I think our defense can match up against any offense. So which team do you think our offense matches up best with in the wild card round? I think Houston, then Tennessee, then Kansas City. Yeah, I think you got it in the right order. Um, Houston, Tennessee, Kansas City. For the Bills offense, which defense do we match up best with? Yes, I'm with you. I think that's the right order. And I think that's the right mentality. I think you're right about that. Like, I don't get nervous about the challenge that the Bills' defense has as much as I do the offense. And I think that's natural. Everybody knows the Bills' defense is better than the Bills' offense. Uh, David here says, the Tyler Croft touchdown is the play of the game. If they play for the field goal, the Steelers' last two drives probably end up winning the game for them. I think it's a good point, David. I mean... That touchdown was a big deal. Obviously, when you need a touchdown instead of a field goal, it changes the way you play, Um, and so that was meaningful. I will argue, though, that Trey White's second interception was the the play of the game. I was losing a little bit of faith there, and then it felt like they were starting to get some momentum on on defense and offense, and and for Trey White, I felt like he was the guy that kind of woke up the team there. So... um, Splitting hairs, probably debating this, but I'll go with Trey White's second interception as the play of the game. Uh, Chef says, clinching a playoff spot, do you think it's a good idea or see a scenario where the Bills play the last two games with a little bit more experimentation? Activate Yeldon and Duke for the last two games, feature them and foster more. Um, so I would ask you, okay, I, I get there's a lot of people out there that want to see TJ Yeldon and Duke Williams get an opportunity to contribute to this team. Well, who are you going to deactivate to create those opportunities? Because I don't think Duke Williams is more valuable than any of the receivers that they keep active. And I don't think TJ Yeldon is more active, more valuable than the running backs. They keep active. So I, I would like to hear some more from people that believe this, you know, what, what the, what the plan is, what, who's going to be inactive so that those guys can be active and what specifically do they do that, would help. Um, I know Duke has a size dynamic and a catch point ability, which it seems like it's valuable, but you know, I, I don't know that he has the separation skills. And um, I, I mean, are, are the bills at the point where you really want to kind of go away from your offense to, to bring in his skill set? I don't know. I don't, those, I'll just say this. Those players don't really move the needle for me. I don't think it's going to be the difference in the bills being, you know, better on offense and, and for the amount of time that you would have to spend kind of working them into the mix uh, as opposed to what you're comfortable with. But yeah, I think some experimentation, putting things on tape that makes teams have to prepare for those types of things is going to be really important over the last couple of games. 
Uh, X Bills Revenge Tour says, how stoked are you that you don't have have to podcast about playoff chance scenarios anymore? I am I am very happy. Um, those are confusing, and the Bills are in. Uh, he goes on to say the Bills did it on their own. Also, uh, was Chris Collinsworth correct in his assessment of Josh Allen and his feet, wide base and setting wrong leading to errant throws. Um, yeah, I think that's been something Josh has battled through for a long time. Um, I watched, obviously I'm familiar with his tape from Wyoming and Josh has always set a wide base and he's always had an, uh, a tendency to over overset. Um, and that's, that does play into some of those throws that are a little bit off target, especially in the short to intermediate areas of the field. Um, I don't think we've been concerned with Josh, Josh Allen's intermediate to short accuracy this year. So, um, I thought there were some examples in the Pittsburgh game that I don't think are very common based on, you know, the entire body of work that he's put together this year. But yeah, I think that's always been something for Josh, but, um, you know, mechanics are difficult because, you know, these guys have thrown a ball a certain way their entire life and breaking habits is really difficult, especially in moments where you have to be quick. You're or like, you, you know, you're going to resort to the stuff that you're always used to the way you're comfortable. And so fixing that type of stuff is, is really challenging. Um, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm not sure it's been something that's been overly detrimental to the offense, but yeah, that's, that's been a Josh thing for as long as I've ever watched him play football. But I will say it's a lot better than at Wyoming. Do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and watch Josh Allen Wyoming game, and you will not recognize the man playing quarterback if you if you think about the Josh Allen you see today. Uh, Dominic says, if we lose against the Patriots this upcoming week, do you see us resting our starters in Week 17 versus the Jets? Well, yeah, I, I do think there's going to be some of that. If the Bills lose to the Patriots, they can finish no higher than the fifth seed. And so um, I do think there's some – merit to that idea, right? Like you're, you're, there's nothing to gain from that game. I mean, if there's certain players that need reps, then play them. But yeah, I don't need to see, uh, Trey white. <laughs> I don't need to see Tremaine Edmonds. You know, I don't need to see Mitch Morse, John Brown. So you, you can only, you can only have seven guys inactive, but you can, you know, you can certainly do things with your roster to limit, you know, your key players, uh, and not expose them to any injuries. But you, you want to also be careful. You've seen teams rest players, and then they just lose their crispness and their sharpness. Um, so I would be mindful of that. So those one thing I, I'll say, and I, I love being able to say this, Dominic, and whoever's listening, I just trust Sean McDermott to get that right. If he feels like these guys need to play a little bit to get some more timing and, and really get some install stuff taken care of, then do it. But I also trust that Sean would identify which players don't need to play and can rest and they'll have no problem picking up and performing well the following week with that off week. So um, I think there's some merit to the idea, but I will say this, that Sean McDermott has proven that I trust him with the management of players in that regard. Zach says, uh, love the pot and love the bills locking up the fifth seed. Thank you, Zach. The bills produce five turnovers Sunday night, resulting in only three points. Turnovers create the potential for a six to 14 point swing and could be a difference maker in winning January football games. What do the Bills need to do differently to take advantage of the great defensive play? Good teams create turnovers. Great teams capitalize on them. Zach, it's a good point. You know, the Bills, I mean, it's a, I mean you think about it, the five turnovers against Pittsburgh uh, and three points off of them. And I know one of them was obviously the Levi Wallace play, uh, last play of the game, uh, essentially. Um, so, you know, you don't look for points off that, but even with four turnovers to only have three points is – it's pretty disappointing. So 
Um, a lot of times after turnovers, it's a great opportunity to take a shot and really put stress on uh, on a sudden change situation for the defense that you're going up against. Those haven't been consistent for the Bills, but I think I think the the, the real message, and I think any team coming out of a turnover where you have sudden change, where your offense is quickly out there, their defense is quickly on the field. It's the that's the best time to be aggressive, to dial up a shot play, um, to a go with a tendency breaker type thing, and and really position yourself to score. But yeah, I think you're exactly right. If the Bills are going to create turnovers, which they they haven't been overly great at this year, they've been a great defense, but they've not necessarily been a great takeaway defense. Um, I think there's room to grow there. When you have those chances, score points, make teams pay for it, and. Um, I'm sure that's a point of emphasis, right? Sean McDermott doesn't not want to score points after a turnover. But, yeah, I think looking at those situations and what you can do better and what uh, types of things you can do to put stress on a, on a sudden change situation even more is beneficial. So good point there, Zach. Uh, last one here today comes from Matt who says, I'm going to assume we lose at least one coach in the offseason to a head coaching position and was wondering what you think the effects could be and potential candidates. I think our defense, we we would have an easier transition due to all the veteran leadership and Sean being a defensive mind, but not sure how easily the offense could adopt to a new style. Also, uh, you say all the time about how we need more dynamic playmakers on offense, and I was wondering if you think that person could already be on our roster in Christian Wade, or would it be better to look at DeAndre Swift or or Travis Etienne in the draft? Uh, Two good talking points there, Matt. Let's talk about the possibility of losing a coach. Obviously, I think you're referring to Leslie Frazier and uh, Brian Dable. Uh, Leslie Frazier was, uh, I think he had a really good chance of being the Colts head coach. Uh, He was in the running there when they went with Frank Reich. I think he'll get some opportunities, right? A team that's maybe looking for a steady hand, uh, a a sure presence, kind of that uh, that guy that can really um, build culture. I think you get that from Leslie Frazier, and obviously what he's been able to do with the Bills' defense is – really outstanding, and I think he'll at least get some interviews. Um, and then Brian Dable, um, I know everyone doesn't love Brian Dable, but he's got you know like 20 years of experience in the NFL and in football, and he's got the, the endorsement of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and um, he's done some really good things with this Bills offense, whether you choose to believe it or not. Um, and I think that he will be a commodity. I mean, I think if you look at Josh Allen himself, I don't think a lot of people thought Josh Allen would even get to this level. And so uh, Brian Dable deserves a ton of credit. He deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do last year with the offense, how bad it was and how it really kind of turned a corner starting with that Jets game last year. So, you know, people are going to look at that and and want to have that in their building. So I, I kind of think the Bills would be more likely to lose. I don't know. I don't know which one they're they more likely to lose. To me, it's it's a reasonable belief that either one of them could go. Um, yeah, I do think the easier easier guy to replace is Leslie Frazier. I think Jim O'Neill uh, is, a, is a slam dunk um, replacement at defensive coordinator. Wouldn't surprise me to see him get a defensive coordinator job somewhere anyways uh, this, this offseason. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, but, you know, on offense – you know, I don't. I don't know that I. I look at anything that the Bills have currently in place and say that could be the next offensive coordinator. You know, look at Ken Dorsey. I think that's a name that people would bring up. The Bills' quarterbacks coach, but I mean, what 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 do we know about his ability to coordinate offense and call plays? I don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> I'll think a lot more about that once we really get into those things being real possibilities. But um, hopefully, neither one goes. 
Uh, but I think the Bills would be able to handle the loss of Leslie Frazier more than they would Brian Dable. I want that continuity on offense. You know, Brian Dable, I, I mean, he said in his press conference today, you look at day one of OTAs and it's, um, you know, it's Wyatt Teller on the offensive line and Spencer Long in the offensive line and LaShawn McCoy, Zay Jones. And now look at this group. And it's just a different group. I want to see Brian Dable with the full offseason with these guys and a year under their belts and a real chance to build the playbook and install it um, around this group. So I would hate to lose Dable. I'd hate to lose either one, but I'd, I'd, I'd rather lose Frazier. The other part of Matt's question was good. It was about, um, you know, I do I want dynamic ball handlers and would the Bills be wise to – um, really invest in the chance for Christian Wade to be a bigger part of the team um, and over or draft a guy like DeAndre Swift or Travis Etienne. DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne are great football players. They're two of the best running backs in the rising class. Travis Etienne, rare speed. I mean, his ability to accelerate is unbelievable. DeAndre Swift is a very nuanced running back that I think is a starter in the NFL. Um, I, I don't want the Bills to get either one of those guys because I think that means they took them in the first round. <laughs> I'm not for a first-round running back. So, uh, yeah, I'd much rather see Christian Wade get a chance to um, get more opportunities in preseason and see what type of impact he can make before I invested a premium selection in a player like Swift or ETN. Those guys are going to be good players, but I'd rather help the roster in other areas and, and see what you can do elsewhere to get – more dynamic ball handlers and a a complimentary back to Devin Singletary. That's going to do it for us today here. Appreciate everyone sending these in. As a reminder, you can have your items addressed on a Twitter Tuesday. Send me an email, uh, joe at thedraftnetwork.com, or on Twitter, it's at thejoemarino is my handle, with the hashtag Twitter Tuesday, and um, we'll uh, get to your items. So, I know a lot of those are usually inspired by the the game before. So, you know, Sunday, Monday, fill them up, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Tomorrow, we'll start getting ready for the New England Patriots. Week 16, the Bills have a chance to go win a game in Foxborough against Tom Brady. Uh, (laughs) I would love to see it. Something that uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean cannot say they've done yet. They haven't beat the New England Patriots. So that would be a nice box to check this Saturday. So we'll start talking about that game tomorrow as always i do kindly ask that you share subscribe rate and review the podcast thanks for listening i'll be back again for you tomorrow